This is Incredible Stories Podcast, Episode 2, Apollo 13's Plutonium Problem. Hello again, everyone. I'm Zane Wind. And I'm Josh Virala, and this is Incredible Stories Podcast, where we're bringing you incredible stories involving human achievement, odd history, and the paranormal. All incredible and all true. So, Zane, how's it going today? What have you been up to since our last episode? Everything's going pretty good. Um, I'm a big uh, sports fan. The Falcons actually just beat the Saints uh, last all night right. um, um, for Monday Night Football. So uh, John Grudinos was actually, uh, <laughs> he was making the play call and uh, he was, uh, he was, he was, he was saying some good facts, but um, he was, he was being, he didn't take the Spartans for the No, win. no, he's pretty fair. Um, but, um, you know, he, he had a good call though. So, but I've been doing okay. good. How you been doing? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, I see you at work every day. So yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, not too much has happened since the last episode. Um, just, uh. Been here doing research for these episodes for for our listeners. Well, I'm sure our audience members uh, really appreciate that. So uh, let's just uh, get everything started. Um, but you know, before we get into the main topic, uh, which um, for today we will delve into, um, of course, Apollo 13's plutonium problem. Let's do some headlines. All right, and this is what we like to call listeners headlines 120, yeah. where we have 120 seconds to bring up. And discuss each headline for you. Yeah. Uh, Zane, do you want to start or you want me to start? I'll go ahead. That's fine. Just tell me when. All right. And you're on the clock. All right. World's first baby born using new three-parent technique. Ooh. Yeah. The world's first child was creating using a controversial three-parent system. And she was born in Mexico. This has just been announced. The technique used by Dr. John Zhang of the New Hope Fertility Clinic in New York and his team involved taking the nucleus from one of the mother's eggs containing her DNA and implanting it into a donor egg that had its nucleus removed but retained the donor's healthy mitochondrial DNA. Hmm. Yeah, a report in the New York Times magazine said the baby is now about five months old. And what the deal is, the parents are Jordanians and they the, the mother has Lee syndrome, which is a fatal disorder that affects the developing nervous system and would have been passed on in her mitochondrial DNA. So that's why they opted to do this controversial technique. So they're ba- That sounds very complicated, I must <laughs> say. Uh, but it sounds like it's ripe for a sitcom. My three dads or three moms. You know it's... My two two dads and a mom. You know it's coming. Uh, <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be there. It's, it's ripe for parody. All <laughs> right. Well, that's time on that one. So, nice. all right. Very good story. Interesting story, Zane. I like it. Um, all right. Well, let me go into uh, the mine here. So, Russian geneticist repeats dog domestication with foxes in just 50 years. Oh, cool. So, uh, these Russian scientists back in the 1950s uh, began breeding some foxes, and they were trying to replicate uh, the process of dog domestication with mm-hmm. them to see if we could, if they could make foxes totally domesticated. And in the past, uh, people haven't really been able to do that because foxes are so wild right. that you can keep them as a pet for a little bit, but they just kind of go go off because their wild instincts take over. Right. So, but this research team 
had been able to successfully breed the foxes down to where they they seek out humans and they act just like dogs. They wag their tails and oh, they adorable. lick people's faces. Oh, yeah, very cute. And that's just in the course of 50 years. So, you know, that's something that uh, I think they're going to continue to develop and try to get foxes down even more domesticated for people. I, do, I think they do sell them uh, to to individuals to keep their funding going. Right. But uh, but other than that, it's it's kind of isolated in, in Russia. Okay, okay, yeah, that, that's really cool. What did the fox say? <laughs> he said time's okay, up. Okay, he said time's up. All right, well, perfect. All right, on the clock now. Okay. In growing trend, colleges offer plastic ball pits for students seeking emotional safety. Trigger warning! Ah! Uh, Safe so ball pits for social justice warriors are apparently now a thing on college campuses. The ball pits have popped up at snowflake-friendly campus events at University <laughs> of Central Florida and Texas Tech University, and will also debut at St. Mary's College of California on October 3rd for their Mental Health Awareness and, campings, and Campus of Caring Week. Oh, oh my god. That's soft and warm and fuzzy. Oh. It sounds nice. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't jump into any ball pits. Uh, I, I think when we were kids, ball pits were just cesspools of disease and pee and poop. Yeah, they were gross, but you didn't know at the time, and they were really fun. But I, <laughs> I, I think I'm old enough now. I wouldn't do it because I don't want to look like a little. And plus, it is yeah. disgusting. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a very good safe space to me. Actually, now that I think about it, it just seems gross. You know what? Let them jump in and let them get sick. You know, all these little little pools. <laughs> well, and time. All right. Well, you cut that one early, oh, so that's okay. good. okay. Nice. Very good for you. All right. Well, my next one, on the clock. Mystery of colorful giant plants of the sub-Antarctic solved. So, off the oh. coast of New Zealand, there's this island where they, they call them mega herbs. So, they're big, they're big bigger versions of what is found on the mainland that grow on this island. Mm-hmm. And the botanists who are studying the island, Cam- Campbell Island is uh, they figured out why these plants are their flowers are darker and they're bigger than their mainland counterparts which are paler so so basically because where they are in the subarctic they have very uh limited amount of time where they can gain the energy from the sun Uh because it's cloudy and stuff like that so they've evolved darker flowers to attract more of the sun's heat when it is uh, out. That makes sense. And it's a larger area. So they kind of mimic tropical plants in that sense because in the tropics have a similar situation because of the overgrowth and clouds and rains all the time. So the plants there are larger typically to take more advantage of the sun when it is out. Oh, okay. All right, that, that, that's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, because of course, like darker colors, like if you wear a dark shirt and you're outside in summer heat, you're going to get really hot really fast. That's it's always brilliant, you know, when nature can evolve like that for its surroundings. Exactly. Exactly. And that's my time. So if you're interested, check it out. Nice. Okay. In our show notes. All right, Zane, you're on the clock for your third headline. Here we go. Low speed pursuit as police chase flying saucer. The strange vehicle was also was spotted zooming around a children's playground in gory Ireland after a low speed mm. pursuit. Witnesses saw police pull the craft over to discover a very worldly explanation. The flying saucer, in fact, was the work of local artist Ali Camille Ali, which doesn't sound Irish at all, but we'll just go with it, who created the unique piece of youth or the unique piece of art for a youth and arts festival. Uh, Mr. Ali, originally from Islington, London, 
revealed he had roped in police for the stunt to drum up interest in the space-themed arts craft festival. Um, and the vehicle runs on two electric scooters and is equipped with a strobe light, smoke machine, and a laser. And, um, you know, in our show notes, when you click on the link, you can see the little video of this little thing, this little UFO software. It looks pretty good. Um, just like hmm. rolling around on the street and just the cops uh, pulling it over. And I thought it was just kind of a fun little story. And just like a good little segue into kind of our uh, space theme today. Oh, well, I will not be segueing into the space theme at all on my oh, third story. Darn it. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. That's good. Just keep that one in mind uh, when we go back to, to mine here. Okay. So that's time. And for my final story, ancient Roman coins found in ruined Japanese castle. Whoa. Wow. This is interesting. Yeah. Back uh, on, on the island of Okinawa, uh, that is the southernmost prefecture in Japan, it, they found some Roman coins underneath one of the castles there. Mm-hmm. And what they think happened was that this shows how much trade was going on back in the day between the Japanese or this island in particular um, and the the mainland. So China and, and that area. They don't think they had direct contact necessarily with the Romans, but just through trade, these coins made their way you know, further, uh, closer to Japan wow. and eventually made its way into Okinawa. So, yeah, it's kind of neat because they're saying that the, the coins are at least from 300 to 400 AD. Okay. So they're very old, you know, right. and that's, it's kind of a mystery and they're still investigating it, but I thought that was pretty cool. What were the Roman coins doing over there? I know. I mean, you don't think of that connection, but yeah, with trade and all that, eventually, you know, it could definitely get there. Now, so did you say where the coins, they were 380, like, that's how old they were? Yes, that was, but uh, that is my time, so I can't go any further, Zane. Unfortunately, I, I apologize, but I'll talk to you offline about it, I guess. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, so that's our headlines, 120. So, so Zane, what will you be learning the listeners about today? Well, Josh, what do you know about NASA's Apollo 13 mission? Well, aside from Tom Hanks... Socks and Houston, we have a problem. I know it involved a manned mission to the moon, but there was a mechanical failure mm-hmm. and the astronauts had to scrap their mission and barely made it back to Earth alive. That is correct. This, I'm glad you remember the movie with Tom Hanks really well. Good job. I remember uh, Kevin Bacon did have some frontal going on in that movie as well for some reason. You would remember that. <laughs> um and But the story actually doesn't just end with the astronauts coming back alive. Something else came back to Earth with them. Aliens? Now, that would have been truly incredible, but also incredibly terrifying. <laughs> but the actual thing that came back to Earth with the Apollo 13 crew also in itself could have been very terrifying for us humans. As Apollo 13 neared Earth for re-entry, the astronauts had to purposefully detach several modules of their spacecraft to make re-entry possible. But in one of those modules that was discarded and left to burn in the atmosphere was a graphite fuel cask containing 3.9 kilograms of plutonium. Oh my, that sounds incredibly harmful. <laughs> um, and, and terrifying, I will say. Yes. Uh, well, to, to interject for our listeners real quick, uh, a cask is a container shaped like a barrel <laughs> that is used for holding liquid. But, but you know, the, the plutonium, Zane, 
I, I'd love to go and see if I could grab that and put it in my DeLorean time machine. Oh, uh, yeah. You want to go uh, go with uh, Marty, uh, go back in time, or would you want to go forward? What's your preference? Oh, geez. Uh, I think I'd go forward in go time. Go future? Forward. Absolutely future, yeah. Yeah, see how far we've come, or maybe how far we've fallen. Maybe <laughs> yeah, maybe one right. of those other uh, cask of plutonium have crashed in, you know, <laughs> nuclear wasteland. Who knows? Mad Max style. Mad Max. Ooh, that, that, that in itself might be kind of fun. Well, uh, thankfully, uh, no one, not even Doc Brown, has been able to retrieve <laughs> this specific cask um, or container of plutonium. But um, I'll get to that little nugget in a few minutes. Uh, let's give a recap to the audience on what actually happened during the Apollo 13 mission that led to this little-known story of this missing container of plutonium crashing into Earth. T, minus 20 seconds and counting, 17 guidance, release... 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8. Ignition sequence has started. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Lift off. The clock is running. Okay, P11, Jim. Yaw program. Clear the program. Clear the tower. Yaw complete roll program. Houston, roger, roll. 13, Houston, go at 30 seconds. Roll complete, and we are pitching. Roger that. Stand by for Mode 1 Bravo. Roger that. Stand by for Mode 1 Bravo. Mark. 1 Bravo. 1 Bravo. RCS Command. 13 Houston, go at 1. We show the cabin relieving. 13 Roger. 13 Houston, stand by for Mode 1 Charlie. Mark. You're 1 Charlie. Mark. 1 Charlie. And 13, you are go for staging. Go for staging. Roger, we're EDS manual. Copy that. Inboard. We confirm. Inboard, out. 13, you're looking good. Roger. S2 ignition. Roger. 13, Houston, trajectory is good. Thrust is good. Roger. Skirt, SEP, tower, jet. We confirm, Sket, SEP, Roger, tower, jet, mode 2, gym, looking good. Mode 2. Guidance, initiate. 13, Houston, guidance is good, and the CMC is go. Okay, thank you. 13, Roger. 13, Houston, you are go at four minutes. The little red lines are right on the little white lines down here. Sounds good. 13, Houston, coming up to five minutes. You're looking perfect. Over. But of course, this mission would uh, end up being far from perfect. Um, as many of you know, Apollo 13 was the seventh manned mission in NASA's Apollo space program and the third intended to land on the moon. So everything at this point, you know, pretty much NASA felt like, okay, we're confident. We've already had two manned missions that were a success. Um, we feel like this is just, it's routine now. Um, so Did really- you find out, Zane, why they called it Apollo 13? 13 as opposed to Apollo 7 what is that I didn't see that I'm sure there's people I didn't look that up yeah um, we'll have to that, that's a good that's a so did it um did it like switch from like Apollo 7 then it jumped Apollo 13 was that the deal is that what you you're know, saying? I, I don't know I feel grossly uninformed about the space <laughs> mission naming policy <laughs> but please please continue we'll have to put that in the show notes for our information and for your information listeners um but, um, yeah, that, that's interesting, and I don't know why you would even pick 13 in the first place with all that negativity around it. I know, um, that's right? a good, That's a good question. 
But again, um, uh, this was the third intended uh, mission to land on the moon. And the craft was launched on April 11th, uh, 1970, um, exactly 1313 Central Standard Time from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And the crew consisted of Commander Tom Hanks, I'm sorry, uh, Jim Lovell, uh, Command Module Pilot uh, Kevin Bacon, sorry, Jack Swigger, <laughs> and Looter uh, Module Pilot, uh, uh, damn, I forgot his name. Uh, anyways, Fred Hayes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, Paxson? Yeah, Paxson, Bill Paxson, yes. Yeah. I was on a roll, then I failed. Sorry. Just like this mission. Um, <laughs> but anyways. Um, Zane 13. So, yeah, Zane 13. Actually sounds kind of cool. Sounds like yeah. some sort of like B-level horror movie or something like that. Right? Yeah. Starring Xanios. Starring Xanios. Yes. <laughs> Not Xanios the bitch, but Xanios yeah, just... the afraid. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, you yeah, with all the, you know, the 13 numbers, like NASA was really gunning for, I guess, the superstition or something with 13s in there. Naming it Maybe 13th it was... and 1313 with the launch time. Uh, what's, what's the... Oh, what's the Yeah. F- I didn't even notice that until now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Yeah, I guess they didn't have a fear of the number 13. What's that called? Uh, Triskaidekaphobia, I think, is the fear of the number 13. Something it has phobia in it. Yeah, that's all yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. I believe that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But c- continue. Continue. Okay. Well, that boggles my mind. I even know it's 1313. Anyways, well, the launch itself, um, the launch itself went without any major hitches. Um but 56 hours into the mission, that's when Apollo 13 had their little problem. Houston, we have a little problem. Yes, just a slight one. So Houston flight controllers at this point, they were just doing some routine, just checkups um, as they were, you know, slowly making their way towards the moon. Um, and the Houston flight controllers, um, they asked uh, uh, Zwigger to uh, turn on the hydrogen and oxygen tanks in the service module. And uh, two minutes later, the astronauts heard a loud bang. Like, like Nicki Minaj bang? Like, bang, bang. Bang, a bang, bang. I think uh, they would be a little less uh, intimidated if it was <laughs> that type of bang. They I know, it, either, oh. either way would be frightening in space, I think. Yeah. At, at what point, though, Zane, do you crap your pants? Your space pants? I mean, I think... <laughs> I mean, I'm crapping my pants on the launch right right away mm-hmm. before the, the you know what at the start of the mission. But while you're inside yeah. this ca- capsule and you hear that, like, what do you, what, what what do you do? I mean, do you do you are you brave enough to to be in that module? Ah, uh, I mean, that's like a question I always like to pose to my friends, um, mm-hmm. like a similar one. Like, would you rather be in space in the module or be in a submarine all the way you know in the ocean? Ugh. And <laughs> Yeah, and I, I feel like, for me, I would rather be in space, at least, like, hopefully I can see Earth and just see how beautiful it is. But when you're in the bottom of the freaking ocean, it's just dark and just, just can't, there's nothing, just nothing. It seems so, like no uh, win anyway. <laughs> no win, no win. Yeah, it's a good question, and um, I'm sure they were, they're, of course, they're very well trained um, for any emergency. But, yeah, when you hear a loud pop and, you know... Mm-hmm. NASA's only been around for so long, and it's like, well, our ships probably aren't that great. We're still kind of figuring this thing out. <laughs> it's got to be pretty terrifying, you know. Well, was there anything else that happened after after the bang? Well, um, this uh, this this bang by Nicki Minaj, um, <laughs> it was followed by um, their electrical systems going haywire, and their control thrusters they started firing. So basically, the ship. 
um, started spinning out of control and they had to uh, pretty much manually adjust it and get it back in sync with their orbit and their trajectory towards the moon. Because, I, I mean, you know, when you're going space, you know, with no gravity, no nothing to withhold your trajectory, you know, you'll just keep flying. So you, all the trajectory has to be perfect, all the math. Um, and, like, that's amazing to me that they had to figure that out on the fly. How do we get back into our true path towards the moon? That seems like too much math for me, too. I, I'm not good at math, and so props to them. It's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, that that I think it was at that point when I realized I had to do math in space. That's when <laughs> I have to grab your pants. That's when. I, yep, that would be it. Well, I guess they have a high standard for astronauts. Not just anybody can be an astronaut. No, no, unfortunately not. Well, during this part, so of course um, they were kind of flying out of control for a bit before the crew was able to get the ship back into its main uh, course. Um, during this point, fuel levels began to drop, and uh, Lovell, uh, he reported seeing outside the window, one of the windows, that the craft was venting a gas of some sort, and this turned out to be... Uh, Tom Hanks. Some, yeah, t- yeah, it turned out Tom, to be Tom Hanks. He was, you know, remember, the, the, remember the, he was just like, ah, Houston, uh, there's some sort of gas leaking out. It's very dramatic. Um, how convenient. Just yeah, blame yeah. it on the spacecraft. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh... Tom Hanks noticed that there's gas, and they figured out that one of the O2 tanks uh, was leaking, and this was this was uh, severely depleting their oxygen supply. So all these leaks were occurring in the command module, which is kind of in the middle of the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this this forced the crew to kind of shut down this module because it was screwing up with all their reserves that they would need. Because already at this point, they figured out pretty quickly that they had to pretty much abandoned the mission which was heartbreaking but um it needed to be done if they wanted to save their lives and what they needed to do was they had to shut down this module because they needed to save the power to um for the lunar module to be used as a lifeboat while they uh they kind of conserved their oxygen their o2 their food supplies um because really they actually didn't have enough food to go more than 24 hours to 48 hours um, everything was supposed to be just a strict schedule, and that was it. And now they're in a dire situation. Man, I freak out when my when my smartphone loses power. Yeah, I, mean, I, I freak out myself, and you know a lot of people do as well. I mean, they're they're all pooping their pants when uh, their freaking phones are dying. You know? Oh yeah. But uh, they couldn't handle this situation. But um, thankfully, um, with the availability of this lunar module, they were able to. Like, staying there for most of the trip, and this allowed them to survive. If there wasn't any type of, like, lunar module attached, this mission would have been deadly, like, within hours of this event. And wasn't the uh, the lunar, lunar module wasn't supposed to stay attached, right? That was supposed to be something that was, would have been jettisoned on the moon if their mission would have went through like it was supposed to be. Right. Um, the lunar module had all sorts of, um, um, it had, of course, landing pads on it. It had jets on it for it to just kind of navigate onto the moon. It had all their supplies for landing, um, you know, for doing experiments and all that. So, yeah, that was supposed to be um, detached. And when they got on the moon, um, you know, that was, like most of the you know craft was going to be left there. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, because when they realized, when Houston and the crew realized that they had to come back, 
they needed to have the module with them to convert it to a lifeboat. So, um, like I said, they decided the best option was to come back and to do this, the safest and fastest option was to go towards the moon, pass around it, which was, you know, must have been really depressing towards, you know, for these uh, astronauts because, oh, yeah. you know, this was their whole mission. This is what, what their dream was for, you know, who knows how long. Yeah, um, only and, a handful of people have actually been on the moon and you're slated to go. Yeah. And then you, then you can't. I mean, it's it, like you're so close and it's like, ah. You, you pass it, it's right there. And you're like, oh, see you later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe next time. Maybe next time. <laughs> you know, so they, they had to make that hard call and it was really hard for them. But so what they did is they used the moon's gravity to slingshot back towards Earth. And... Like I said, this was the best maneuver to use due to their rapidly dwindling oxygen and power levels. And on approach to Earth, the Apollo 13 crew had to jettison, you know, as they got closer, this is when they actually had to jettison both the service module and the lunar modules. Now, the lunar modules, like I said, it was uh, the one they used to kind of like, uh, it was their lifeboat, is where they had most of their oxygen, their water, and the food supply. But for this, they had to get back um, move back into the ship because the service and lunar modules were going to be ejected um, into the Earth's atmosphere. But as the astronauts uh, dangerously descended throughout through the Earth's atmosphere in the command module, NASA began to worry about more than just the astronauts. Um, in the in the previously discarded lunar module, do you remember Josh and I said that they had a lot of experiments they wanted to run mm-hmm. on the moon? I do, well, yes. These experiments were all going to be powered by uh, a SNAP-27 radioisotope thermoelectric generator. That's RTG. Um, mm. And this generator contained 3.9 kilograms of radioactive plutonium. Well, that sounds mighty frightening. Yes, and mighty exciting for Doc Brown. Yes. Uh, my DeLorean would eat that for breakfast. But, um, you know, it's difficult to say. Um, I- I'm sure um, the crew, they knew when they had to jettison, they're like, well, you know, I'm sure they discussed with Houston, like, all right, well, here's another issue right now uh, for, you know, down on Earth. You know, hopefully this uh, module will crash. I mean, you know, most Earth is uh, ocean right. and water. So hopefully it'll just crash in the ocean. And, you know, this pretty much this... This container full of plutonium won't hit a populated area. Hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully <laughs> not. So officials from NASA, kind of later past this um, time, told the New York Times that the biggest risk was that the 40-pound generator, of course, might hit a populated area with the hopes that it would crash in the sea. One NASA official kind of joked in a dark way, yeah, I'll keep the fish warm. And it's like, <laughs> okay, like, doesn't really... And I will say at this time, too, that... Uh, I did reach out to NASA for a comment. Oh on yes, this. that's right. And uh, you know they did not respond. So no. surprise, they didn't respond to an up and coming podcast about weird stuff. I don't know why you feel like you know that type of thing would be very you know easy to talk about. There'd be oh, no yeah. PR you know problems. It's like we're credible, right? We're yeah. At this point, I think we we got one episode under our belt, so I think we know what we're doing. NASA, get give us a call. Although right. I'm probably on a list now, so whatever. I mean, yeah, they're probably looking at you with a little camera on your laptop, looking at you right now. <laughs> I, I tape that over. Oh, okay, okay, that's very smart. 
Good job. You must have watched like that uh, that Snowden movie or whatever. Good job. I've been doing it before Snowden. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> well damn. That's right. You are kind of a prepper like for any yeah. scenario, aren't you? I just like being prepared and ready. That's good. That's good. I need to I need to get back better into that. Like I have some stuff in my trunk, maybe a sleeping bag and a tent. That's about it. I need to step up to your level. You really do. Yeah. In case something like this happens, exactly. we're pretty much a meteorite full of plutonium is heading towards Earth. Oh um, no! Ah! Thankfully, though, this uh, container, uh, 3.9 kilograms of plutonium, thankfully it crashed in the South Pacific Sea in the Tonga Trench. Oh, um, shoo! Yes, yeah, so Tonga. Uh, <laughs> they they were they were right. Um, you know that most. Wait, what likely- is what is Tonga? Uh, what what's Tonga? What's <laughs> uh, all they got are oiled up Olympians, right? Oiled up Olympians. Yes, uh, that was one of the. That's the main export. You, you know the you know the, so he could have been an ideal candidate for the 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 band of Thebes. Like he looked like he would be. Oh, he did. Straight. Yeah. He did. Yeah, he was. He was quite, quite impressive. Quite dashy. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so this uh, this container crash um, in the Tonga Trench, and so as of now, there have been no uh, repercussions from that. You know, the Atomic Energy Commission they commented on this and conceded that you know, yes, if it did hit the ground in a in a you know a non populated area, like let's say it hit the desert then yes, there would be some radiation that would disperse. But as long as, like, the NASA engineers, they design these capsules to either burn up or if they if they landed, like, there wouldn't be much uh, casualty uh, to, you know, the nature environment or, you know, any, God forbid, any human environment. Or so they say. Or so they say. You know, it's always going for that PR thing. Yeah, well, um, you know, I did, uh, also, Zane, I did reach out to the the kingdom of tonga for a comment <laughs> as well and uh surprisingly they did not get back to me <laughs> i don't get this man like what they, i i know i was like tonga i know you don't get a lot of press anywhere and i'm giving you some attention H- hook me up with some quotes directly and we're called yeah. incredible stories podcast i feel like yeah. that shows like some significance yeah, Some merit. You know, we I, are incredible, and your yes. story is incredible. And, and Tonga, for you listeners, is a Pacific island in uh, off the. It's kind of east, yeah, east of uh, Australia, north of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But it's like one of the southernmost uh, islands in uh, Polynesia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, speaking of kind of like uh, uh, PR and credibility, mm-hmm. NASA has actually had to deal with this scenario before. Um, in 1964, oh. six years before uh, this Apollo 13 mission, the Transit 5BN mission was aborted, um, and the RTG—that's um, the container full of uh, this type of plutonium used for a fuel source—it burned up upon reentry above Madagascar. Oh, so that's you don't a, hear about these a lot. <laughs> no, you don't. You know, all these like fallen—you know—pretty much rocks full of plutonium. I want to call it's, it like these nuclear meteors. They yeah, don't, they don't talk about that. <laughs> NASA, <laughs> um, mm. but thankfully, uh, you know, public uh, public demands this information, so we get it. But you know, thankfully, nothing uh, tragic has happened that we know of. Yeah, that is true. Uh, who knows? Uh, maybe some incredible story we can find out or some incredible conspiracy we can uh, look into. <laughs> but NASA, of course, was like, oh, well, yeah, this, um, you know, this mission in 1964, 
uh, the RTG burned up. That was part of the design. You know, that that's that's it's fine. Let's completely ignore the fact that you had, you know, a burning meteorite pretty much of, you know, plutonium. Let's just ignore that. It's okay. It's fine. Nothing so, to see here, folks. Move along. Nothing to see here. But um, oh, actually, um, traces of plutonium were found in the area months later. But you wait, know, wait, this is in Madagascar or back in Donga? Madagascar. So it's okay. just affecting all those silly an- well, the animals. Can talk now. You know, you see that oh, movie. Yeah. So like this. Oh yeah. Well, maybe that's why they can talk now. Is because exactly. of this. Ah, yeah. Madagascar, uh, the movie, true story. So that's the only like you know maybe uh this grain of truth or a grain of like you know evidence we can find that it you know this uh these rtg rtgs are affecting the wildlife who knows <laughs> um but wait josh there's no. more what in 1968 so that's two years before apollo 13 the okay. nimbus b1 weather satellite was aborted soon after takeoff from vandenberg air force base and the plutonium from the snap 19B2 RTG uh, plunged into 300 feet water of water off the California coast. Whoa, Zane, California, that's close to us. That's very close to us, with no release of radiation. Oh, sure, okay. So That we know of. That we know of. Okay, N- NASA's, I, I guess you're I'm not the liking their track record here of these things <laughs> happening. Yeah, I mean, you've done some amazing things, NASA, but you definitely had some unfortunate, glaring uh, flaws in your history as well. But uh, going back to the specific uh, container that was jettisoned, um, you know, off the Apollo 13 spacecraft upon reentry, over the years, this uh, plutonium container um, has been far out of sight. There's been two kind of opposing positions on the safety of RTGs. Really? I didn't... What? What? <laughs> Who's concerned? Oh, come on. I put it on my cornflakes. Yes. You know, it's it's, it's got some good antioxidants, you know? Something <laughs> like that. Um, but for NASA, of course, it's safe return, specific return of this uh, RTG just shows it, its effectiveness. Yeah. It, yeah. It did, so... It's safe. Know. But... In 1997, a group of safety experts, including uh, physicist Dr. Michio Kaku. Kaku. Kaku, okay. They can, yes. Um, yeah. Get with it, Zane. Michio Kaku. Eh, I don't know. And you, you know, I will also say, Zane, I did reach out to Michio Kaku one time. Oh, what did uh, he b- say? Before this this story. I was interested in, and I wanted him to illustrate one of his theories on a napkin for me and send it back to me <laughs> that's a true story wait but, oh it is oh yeah okay. it is it is oh that's but, awesome actually yeah i think i wanted him to illustrate uh schrodinger's cat on a napkin and send it to me did but he su- respond surprisingly he did not oh okay that's <laughs> this was before incredible stories podcast fame so maybe i should try again mm, well you know, third time's a charm. Well, obviously not. Well, we'll let's keep going. Like we'll have, okay. each episode, we'll try to maybe reach out and see where we can get. You know, <laughs> that's hilarious, though. I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still waiting, Michio, <laughs> Mister Kaku, Doctor Kaku, Doctor Kaku. Sorry, I pronounced uh, mispronounced his name. Yes, but uh, he himself um, he warned um, that uh, these kilograms of plutonium and these separate you know incidents. You know, they could pose a great danger that NASA should acknowledge. But, you know, as of this point, this history is kind of... Because there hasn't been, like, a such terrible event with these RTGs mm-hmm. that have been jettisoned a few times in NASA's history, 
you know, you don't hear much of of uh, these type of news events. And that's why we thought it was kind of like pretty incredible story. I mean, yes, Apollo 13's mission. Oh, um, yeah. It was already incredible itself. I mean, you had three three uh, astronauts barely make it back alive um, in 1970 and, you know, kind of like a, a fledgling, you know, space program. Um, they made it all the way to the moon and back. And that was incredible. But... You haven't heard about this side of things. You haven't heard about that. And, you know, thankfully, you know, hopefully the fish are doing okay. You know, <laughs> maybe they've gained another eye or another fin, who knows, in Tonga. But, um... No one goes there. Yeah, no one goes there. So <laughs> I think I think we're okay for now. But that is, um, you know, Apollo 13's little mystery uh, with its RTG and plutonium problem. Any thoughts, Josh? Uh, yeah, you know, I like that story. You know, I, I'd, I'd never really heard of that um, aspect of its uh, missing plutonium. Um, you know, the movie doesn't talk about that, really. And, no. of course, obviously NASA doesn't want to talk about these incidences because, yeah, it could freak a lot of people out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, from my research, it seems that, you know, essentially they're built pretty well. So there's not a lot of danger in them because mm-hmm. they're engineered well. But isn't it, I think I also read that uh, NASA isn't really they're they're they don't really do the RTG so much anymore with the right. those nuclear or the plutonium fuel just because they could pose a problem so they kind of stay away from them. Um I think what was the last the last thing that they did was it the Cassini? Yeah, and actually um uh, Dr. Kaku um he um he talked about it too. Uh, he warned that uh, 32 kilograms of plutonium uh, contained in the Saturn bound Cassini satellite that poised, uh, posed a great danger, mm-hmm. a greater danger than NASA would acknowledge. Right. Okay. So I think that was the last uh, spacecraft that they used the RTGs in, or maybe they one other one since then. But they, yeah, they try to stay away from it. Yeah. Uh, which is smart, you know. I but think yeah, like- but what about those, the you know, the astronauts, though, that that heartbreak you know, from Apollo 13 of going to the moon. Mm-hmm. And I think we touched on it a, a little bit earlier, but I mean, if you were on that mission, would you just be depressed your whole life? Cause you didn't actually get to go on the moon or just so thankful that you made it back alive. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I'd be thankful, but it's just a little part of me would be like, man, I just, oh, God, I missed out. I think it would definitely be a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I read, uh, that uh, Lovell, this was like his third mission in space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was like, you know, third time's a charm. You know, I'm going to make it on the moon. These other, these are other just like, you know, going in orbit missions. And now he's going to the moon. Of course, didn't work out. And the other two um, astronauts, these were their first and last missions. And so, uh. I mean, that's it. Like, you know, I'm sure all of them were just, you know, amazed with themselves, their fellow crewmates, and then, you know, the people on the ground in Houston for, uh, you know, you know, saving their lives and, you know, keeping the composure and like, wow, we actually made a, made it through this. But yeah, I mean, every night you go outside, you're, you're these, uh, these crew members and you look out and you see that moon, you're like, oh my God, I was so close. I passed by it. Yeah. Well, you know, that's more than most people can say, I guess. So yeah, yeah, yeah good, good on them. And, you know, and, and uh, you have a cool story to boot. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the um the nuclear stuff off the coast of Tonga, do you think that'll ever be recovered? Um I don't think so. Um NASA they've talked about it publicly. 
Um, and they said basically, yes, the technology's there for, you know, um, a submersible mission to look around the Tonga Trench. But it seems like they, they said, like, you know, we don't have the funds for this. Or, you know, it's not even, cost effective. It's, yeah, it's, it looks like it's out of a lot of places on Earth, deep in the, like cool waters of like an ocean. That's probably a good place for it. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's uh, kind of really far out of danger. And even if it did happen to the leak, I guess it's not. It's going to be so dispersed. It's not going to really bother anybody. Yeah. That is, of course, if it is in fact where it is, they say it is. So. <laughs> Who knows? It's in Atlanta. No! <laughs> well, they do have bombs off the coast of... Isn't there a nuclear bomb off the coast of uh, South Carolina? I believe there yes, was one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I heard about that. Was it from like a sunken or which kind of a sub was it? Um, no, it's from a plane. It dropped it. Oh, and it, okay. Yeah, okay. They, I think they found it recently, but I don't know. Maybe that's a story for another time, listeners. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, so that's... um. Um, that is the little mystery there with Apollo 13 that a lot, a lot of people you know about. But I say we move on to haikus. Let's show them how it's done, Zane. I will let you go first, Josh. Oh, okay. So um, I I prepared three haikus, but I, I don't know. We'll we'll see how they they go if I want to do all three of them. Um, so my first haiku. Under Tonga Sea, nuclear power is better down where it's wetter. That's awesome. That's a good one. I like that one a lot. That's, that's, I like, I wanted to put more in it, but it's like, I had to follow the format. You couldn't. No, I liked it, but I got it immediately. So Thank I, you. I put a smile on my face. I appreciated that. All you right. Had, there you, you had a good little Jamaican uh, accent there. So that's That's good. what I do. It was Tonga. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what, it, Okay. We've established we're not good with our accent regionals. No, no, but I really appreciate it. All right, um, I will go for my first one. Um, Okay. Failed trip to the moon leaves nuclear cask in the sea. Aquaman is born. (laughs) The radiation gave gave him powers. I don't know. Yeah, I did not see that one coming. That was was good. (laughs) All right, my next one is... Tonga has oiled guy and also nuclear fuel. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Let me start that one over. Okay. Tonga has oiled guy <laughs> and also nuclear fuel. <laughs> Go on. Oh, yeah, I can't. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, one more time. Third time's the charm. Third time of charm. We said it a right. lot tonight. Yeah. Tonga has oiled guy and also nuclear fuel. <laughs> the fish taste crispy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I like it. Oh, man, I don't know why I couldn't get that one out. That was, that was humorous to me. <laughs> it worked, You got though. oil and nuclear fuel. You got crispy fish, of course. Yes, sounds good. It's gotten me hungry already. <laughs> there you go. That's funny. Okay, so um, I um I only I only had two, so this is my last one. Okay, but um, okay, here we go. Tom Hanks flies spacecraft. Tom Hanks crashes said spacecraft. Don't fly with Tom Hanks. 
Yeah, that was good. That was good. In, in general, <laughs> like, you know, I feel like you should never travel with Tom Hanks in general. Like, he, he's crashed a spacecraft, a regular plane, mm-hmm. or twice in a plane. One, he got marooned on an island. Yeah. One, he crashed on the Hudson River. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's not uh, He's not a good travel companion, that's no, for sure. No, like, if I saw him on a plane or a bus or any mode of transportation, I'd be like, I'm out. Nope. <laughs> not gonna as much as I like Tom Hanks. No not Tom a good, Hanks. Not a good travel buddy. That's true. Um Alright, I like that one. It was good. Um Alright, I'll do my third one since I got it. Okay. Um <clears throat> I don't know why I did three, but I I, I was feeling singing, I guess. You had the mu- you had the music playing, you had the candle going, I got yeah, it. Yeah, music just once you get on high key row, you just can't stop. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Alright, so here's the third one. Oops, I dropped again. NASA, we have a problem. Is Tonga our friend? That's that's good. Man, yeah, you're going off the music tonight pretty much. Yeah, you know, I'm feeling magical. You got Disney and you got Britney Spears. I like yeah. it. That's yeah. good. There you go. And that's how you do haikus. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at IncredPod. Check out our site, IncredibleStoriesPodcast.com. Send us a note, and feel free to check out our show notes, where we'll have all our uh, news links in there. Lots of links. For Incredible Stories Podcast, I'm Josh. And I'm Zane. And remember, the journey of a thousand tales begins with the first word. Peace! Thank you.